Section One of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Preface and The Street Folk, Part One. Preface The present volume is the first of an intended series which it is hoped will form when complete a cyclopedia of the industry the want and the vice of the great metropolis it is believed that the book is curious for many reasons it surely may be considered curious as being the first attempt to publish the history of a people from the lips of the people themselves giving a literal description of their labour their earnings their trials and their sufferings in their own unvarnished language and to portray the condition of their homes and their families by personal observation of the places and direct communion with the individuals it may be considered curious also as being the first commission of inquiry into the state of the people undertaken by a private individual and the first blue book ever published in tuppenny numbers it is curious moreover as supplying information concerning a large body of persons of whom the public has less knowledge than of the most distant tribes of the earth the government population returns not even numbering them among the inhabitants of the kingdom and as adducing facts so extraordinary that the traveller in the undiscovered country of the poor must like bruce until his stories are corroborated by after investigators be content to lie under the imputation of telling such tales as travellers are generally supposed to delight in be the faults of the present volume what they may assuredly they are rather shortcomings than exaggerations for in every instance the author and his coadjutors have sought to understate and most assuredly never to exceed the truth for the omissions the author would merely remind the reader of the entire novelty of the task there being no other similar work in the language by which to guide or check his inquiries when the following leaves are turned over and the two or three pages of information derived from books contrasted with the hundreds of pages of facts obtained by positive observation and investigation surely some allowance will be made for the details which may still be left for others to supply within the last two years some thousands of the humbler classes of society must have been seen and visited with the especial view of noticing their condition and learning their histories and it is but right that the truthfulness of the poor generally should be made known for though checks have been usually adopted the people have been mostly found to be astonishingly correct in their statements so much so indeed that the attempts at deception are certainly the exception rather than the rule those persons who from an ignorance of the simplicity of the honest poor might be inclined to think otherwise have in order to be convinced of the justice of the above remarks only to consult the details given in the present volume and to perceive the extraordinary agreement in the statements of all the vast number of individuals who have been seen at different times and who cannot possibly have been supposed to have been acting in concert the larger statistics such as those of the quantities of fish and fruit etc sold in london have been collected from tradesmen connected with the several markets 
or from the wholesale merchants belonging to the trade specified, gentlemen to whose courtesy and cooperation I am indebted for much valuable information, and whose names, were I at liberty to publish them, would be an indisputable guarantee for the facts advanced. The other statistics have been obtained in the same manner, the best authorities having been invariably consulted on the subject treated of. It is right that I should make special mention of the assistance I have received in the compilation of the present volume from Mr. Henry Wood and Mr. Richard Knight, late of the City Mission, gentlemen who have been engaged with me from nearly the commencement of my inquiries, and to whose hearty cooperation both myself and the public are indebted for a large increase of knowledge. Mr. Wood, indeed, has contributed a so large a proportion of the contents of the present volume that he may fairly be considered as one of its authors. The subject of the street folk will still require another volume, in order to complete it in that comprehensive manner in which I am desirous of executing the modern history of this and every other portion of the people. There still remain the street buyers, the street finders, the street perfumers, the street artisans, and the street labourers to be done among the several classes of street people, and the street Jews, the street Italians and foreigners, and the street mechanics, to be treated of as varieties of the order. The present volume refers more particularly to the street sellers, and includes special accounts of the costermongers and the patterers, the two broadly marked varieties of street tradesmen, the street Irish, the female street sellers, and the children's street sellers of the metropolis. My earnest hope is that the book may serve to give the rich a more intimate knowledge of the sufferings and the frequent heroism under those sufferings of the poor, that it may teach those who are beyond temptation to look with charity on the frailties of their less fortunate brethren, and cause those who are in high places, and those of whom much is expected, to bestir themselves to improve the condition of a class of people whose misery, ignorance, and vice, amidst all the immense wealth and great knowledge of the first city in the world, is, to say the very least, a national disgrace to us. THE STREET FOLK OF WANDERING TRIBES IN GENERAL Of the thousand millions of human beings, that are said to constitute the population of the entire globe, there are, socially, morally, and perhaps even physically considered, but two distinct and broadly marked races, namely the wanderers and the settlers, the vagabond and the citizen, the nomadic and the civilized tribes. Between these two extremes, however, ethnologists recognize immediate variety, partaking of the attributes of both. There is not only the race of hunters and manufacturers, those who live by shooting and fishing, and those who live by producing, but, say they, there are also the herdsmen, or those who live by tending and feeding what they consume. Each of these classes has its peculiar and distinctive physical as well as moral characteristics. There are in mankind, says Dr. Pritchard, three principal varieties in the form of the head and other physical characters among the rudest tribes of men the hunters and savage inhabitants of forests dependent for their supply of food on the accidental produce of the soil and the chase 
a form of head is prevalent which is mostly distinguished by the term prognathus indicating a prolongation or extension forward of the jaws a second shape of the head belongs principally to such races as wander with their herds and flocks over vast plains these nations have broad lozenge-shaped faces owing to the great development of the cheekbones and pyramidal skulls the most civilized races on the other hand those who live by the arts of cultivated life have a shape of the head which differs from both of those above mentioned the characteristic form of the skull among these nations may be termed oval or elliptical these three forms of head however clearly admit of being reduced to two broadly marked varieties according as the bones of the face or those of the skull are more highly developed a greater relative development of the jaws and cheekbones says the author of the natural history of man indicates a more ample extension of the organs subservient to sensation and the animal faculties such a configuration is adapted to the wandering tribes whereas the greater relative development of the bones of the skull indicating as it does a greater expansion of the brain and consequently of the intellectual faculties is especially adapted to the civilized races or settlers who depend mainly on their knowledge of the powers and properties of things for the necessaries and comforts of life moreover it would appear that not only are all races divisible into wanderers and settlers but that each civilized or settled tribe has generally some wandering horde intermingled with and in a measure preying on it according to dr andrew smith who has recently made extensive observations in south africa almost every tribe of people who have submitted themselves to social laws recognizing the rights of property and reciprocal social duties and thus acquiring wealth and forming themselves into a respectable caste are surrounded by hordes of vagabonds and outcasts from their own community such are the bushmen and sonquas of the hottentot race the term sonqua meaning literally pauper but a similar condition in society produces similar results in regard to other races and the kaffirs have their bushmen as well as the hottentots these are called fingos a word signifying wanderers beggars or outcasts the laps seem to have borne a somewhat similar relation to the finns that is to say they appear to have been a wild and predatory tribe who sought the desert like the arabian bedouins while the finns cultivated the soil like the industrious fellas but a phenomenon still more deserving of notice is the difference of speech between the bushmen and the hottentots the people of some hordes dr andrew smith assures us vary their speech designedly and adopt new words with the intent of rendering their ideas unintelligible to all but the members of their own community for this last custom a peculiar name exists which is called kuzakat this is considered as greatly advantageous in assisting concealment of their designs here then we have a series of facts of the utmost social importance one there are two distinct races of men that is the wandering and the civilized tribes two to each of these tribes a different form of head is peculiar the wandering races being remarkable for the development of the bones of the face as the jaws cheekbones and so on and the civilized for the development of those of the head three to each civilized tribe there is generally a wandering horde attached four 
such wandering hordes have frequently a different language from the more civilized portion of the community and that adopted with the intent of concealing their designs and exploits from them it is curious that no one has as yet applied the above facts to the explanation of certain anomalies in the present state of society among ourselves that we like the kafirs fellars and finns are surrounded by wandering hordes the sonquas and the fingos of this country paupers beggars and outcasts possessing nothing but what they acquire by depredation from the industrious provident and civilized portions of the community that the heads of these nomads are remarkable for the greater development of the jaws and cheekbones rather than those of the head and that they have a secret language of their own an english cusicat or slang as it is called for the concealment of their designs these are points of coincidence so striking that when placed before the mind make us marvel that the analogy should have remained thus long unnoticed the resemblance once discovered however becomes of great service in enabling us to use the moral characteristics of the nomad races of other countries as a means of comprehending the more readily those of the vagabonds and outcasts of our own let us therefore before entering upon the subject in hand briefly run over the distinctive moral and intellectual features of the wandering tribes in general the nomad then is distinguished from the civilized man by his repugnance to regular and continuous labor by his want of providence in laying up a store for the future by his inability to perceive consequences ever so slightly removed from immediate apprehension by his passion for stupefying herbs and roots and when possible for intoxicating fermented liquors by his extraordinary powers of enduring privation by his comparative insensibility to pain by an immoderate love of gaming frequently risking his own personal liberty upon a single cast by his love of libidinous dances by the pleasure he experiences in witnessing the suffering of sentient creatures by his delight in warfare and all perilous sports by his desire for vengeance by the looseness of his notions as to property by the absence of chastity among his women and his disregard of female honour and lastly by his vague sense of religion his rude idea of a creator and utter absence of all appreciation of the mercy of the divine spirit strange to say despite its privations its dangers and its hardships those who have once adopted the savage and wandering mode of life rarely abandon it there are countless examples of white men adopting all the usages of the indian hunter but there is scarcely one example of the indian hunter or trapper adopting the steady and regular habits of civilized life indeed the various missionaries who have visited nomad races have found their labors utterly unavailing so long as a wandering life continued and have succeeded in bestowing the elements of civilization only on those compelled by circumstances to adopt a settled habitation of the wandering tribes of the country the nomadic races of england are of many distinct kinds from the habitual vagrant half beggar half thief sleeping in barns tents and casual wards to the mechanic on tramp obtaining his bed and supper from the trade societies in the different towns on his way to seek work 
Between these two extremes there are several mediate varieties, consisting of peddlers, showmen, harvestmen, and all that large class who live by either selling, showing, or doing something through the country. These are, so to speak, the rural nomads, not confining their wanderings to any one particular locality, but ranging often from one end of the land to the other. Besides these, there are the urban and suburban wanderers, or those who follow some itinerant occupation in and round about the large towns. Such are, in the metropolis more particularly, the pickpockets, the beggars, the prostitutes, the street-sellers, the street-performers, the cabmen, the coachmen, the watermen, the sailors, and such like. In each of these classes, according as they partake more or less of the purely vagabond, doing nothing whatsoever for their living, but moving from place to place, preying upon the earnings of the more industrious portion of the community, so will the attributes of the nomad tribes be found to be more or less marked in them. Whether it be that in the mere act of wandering there is a greater determination of blood to the surface of the body, and consequently a less quantity sent to the brain, the muscles being thus nourished at the expense of the mind, I leave physiologists to say. But certainly, be the physical cause what it may, we must all allow that in each of the classes above mentioned there is a greater development of the animal than of the intellectual or moral nature of man, and that they are all, more or less, distinguished for their high cheekbones and protruding jaws, for their use of a slang language, for their lax ideas of property, for their general improvidence, their repugnance to continuous labour, their disregard of female honour, their love of cruelty, their pugnacity, and their utter want of religion. Of the London Street Folk Those who obtain their living in the streets of the metropolis are a very large and varied class. Indeed, the means resorted to in order to pick up a crust, as the people call it, in the public thoroughfares, and such in many instances it literally is, are so multifarious that the mind is long baffled in its attempts to reduce them to scientific order or classification. It would appear, however, that the street people may all be arranged under six distinct genera or kinds. These are, severally, one, street sellers, two, street buyers, three, street finders, four, street performers, artists, and showmen, five, street artisans or working peddlers, and six street labourers. The first of these divisions, the street sellers, includes many varieties, namely, one, the street sellers of fish, etc., wet, dry, and shellfish, and poultry, game, and cheese, two, the street sellers of vegetables, fruit, both green and dry, flowers, trees, shrubs, seeds, and roots, and green stuff, as watercresses, chickweed, and grunsel, and turf, 3. The street sellers of eatables and drinkables, including the vendors of fried fish, hot eels, pickled whelks, sheep's trotters, ham sandwiches, peas soup, hot green peas, penny pies, plum duff, meat puddings, baked potatoes, spice cakes, muffins and crumpets, Chelsea buns, sweetmeats, brandy balls, cough drops, and cat and dog's meat, such constituting the principal eatables sold in the street while under the head of street drinkables may be specified tea and coffee, ginger beer, lemonade, hot wine, 
new milk from the cow, asses' milk, curds and whey, and occasionally water. 4. The street-sellers of stationery, literature, and the fine arts, among whom are comprised the flying stationers, or standing and running patterers, the long song-sellers, the wall-song-sellers, or pinners-up, as they are technically termed, the ballad-sellers, the vendors of playbills, second editions of newspapers, back numbers of periodicals and old books, almanacs, pocket-books, memorandum-books, note-paper, sealing-wax, pens, pencils, stenographic cards, valentines, engravings, manuscript music, images, and gelatin poetry cards. 5. The street-sellers of manufactured articles, which class comprises a large number of individuals as a. The vendors of chemical articles of manufacture, namely blacking, lucifers, corn salves, grease-removing compositions, plating balls, poison for rats, crackers, detonating balls, and cigar lights. b. The vendors of metal articles of manufacture, razors and pen-knives, tea-trays, dog-collars, and key-rings, hardware, bird-cages, small coins, medals, jewellery, tinware, tools, card-counters, red-herring toasters, trivets, gridirons, and dutch-ovens. c. The vendors of china and stone articles of manufacture, as cups and saucers, jugs, vases, chimney ornaments, and stone fruit. d. The vendors of linen, cotton, and silken articles of manufacture, as sheeting, table covers, cotton, tapes and thread, boot and stay laces, haberdashery, pretended smuggled goods, shirt buttons, etc., etc. and e. The vendors of miscellaneous articles of manufacture, as cigars, pipes, and snuff-boxes, spectacles, combs, lots, rhubarb, sponges, wash-leather, paper-hanging, dolls, bristol toys, sawdust, and pin-cushions. 6. The street-sellers of second-hand articles, of whom there are again four separate classes, as a. Those who sell old metal articles, namely old knives and forks, keys, tinware, tools, and marine stores generally b. Those who sell old linen articles, as old sheeting for towels. c. Those who sell old glass and crockery, including bottles, old pans and pitchers, old looking-glasses, etc. and d. Those who sell old miscellaneous articles, as old shoes, old clothes, old saucepan lids, and so on and so on. 7. The street-sellers of live animals, including the dealers in dogs, squirrels, birds, gold and silver fish, and tortoises. 8. The street-sellers of mineral productions and curiosities, as red and white sand, silver sand, coals, coke, salt, spar ornaments, and shells. These, so far as my experience goes, exhaust the whole class of street-sellers, and they appear to constitute nearly three-fourths of the entire number of individuals obtaining a subsistence in the streets of London. The next class are the street buyers, under which determination comes the purchasers of hair-skins, old clothes, old umbrellas, bottles, glass, broken metal, rags, waste-paper, and dripping. After these we have the street finders, or those who, as I said before, literally pick up their living in the public thoroughfares. They are the pure 
pickers, or those who live by gathering dog's dung, the cigar-end finders, or hard-ups as they are called, who collect the refuse pieces of smoked cigars from the gutters, and having dried them, sell them as tobacco to the very poor, the dredger-men or coal-finders, the mudlarks, the bone-grubbers, and the sewer-hunters. Under the fourth division, or that of the street performers, artists, and showmen, are likewise many distinct callings. One, the street performers, who admit of being classified into A, mountebanks, or those who enact puppet-shows as Punch and Judy, the Fantacini, and the Chinese Shades. B. The street performers of feats of strength and dexterity, as acrobats, or posturers, equilibrists, or balancers, stiff and bending tumblers, jugglers, conjurers, sword-swallowers, salamanders, or fire-eaters, swordsmen, etc. C. The street performers with trained animals, as dancing dogs, performing monkeys, trained birds and mice, cats and hares, sapient pigs, dancing bears, and tame camels. D. The street actors, as clowns, Billy Barlows, Jim Crows, and others. 2. The street showmen, including shows of A. Extraordinary persons, as giants, dwarfs, albinos, spotted boys, and pig-faced ladies. B. Extraordinary animals, as alligators, calves, horses, and pigs with six legs or two heads, industrious fleas, and happy families. C. Philosophic instruments, as the microscope, telescope, thormoscope. D. Measuring machines, as weighing, lifting, measuring, and striking machines. And E. Miscellaneous shows, such as peep shows, glass ships, mechanical figures, waxwork shows, pugilistic shows, and fortune-telling apparatus. 3. The street artists, as black-profile cutters, blind-paper cutters, screevers, or draughtsmen in coloured chalks on the pavement, writers without hands, and readers without eyes. 4. The street dancers, as street scotch girls, sailors, slack and tight rope dancers, dancers on stilts, and comic dancers. 5. The street musicians, as the street bands, English and German, players of the guitar, harp, bagpipes, hurdy-gurdy, dulcimer, musical bells, cornet, tom-tom, and so on. 6. The street singers, as the singers of glees, ballads, comic songs, nigger melodies, psalms, serenaders, reciters, and improvisatory. 7. The proprietors of street games, as swings, high-flyers, roundabouts, puff-and-darts, rifle-shooting, down-the-dolly, spin-em-rounds, prick-the-garter, thumble-rig, etc. Then comes the fifth division of the street folk, namely the street artisans or working peddlers. These may be severally arranged into three distinct groups. 1. Those who make things in the streets. 2. Those who mend things in the streets. And 3. Those who make things at home and sell them in the streets. 1. Of those who make things in the streets there are the following varieties. a. The metal workers, such as toasting fork makers, pin makers, engravers, tobacco stopper makers. 
b the textile workers stocking weavers cabbage net makers nightcap knitters doll dress knitters c the miscellaneous workers the wooden spoon makers the leather brace and garter makers the printers and the glass blowers two those who mend things in the streets consist of broken china and glass menders clock menders umbrella menders kettle menders chair menders grease removers hat cleaners razor and knife grinders glaziers travelling bell hangers and knife cleaners three those who make things at home and sell them in the streets are a the woodworkers as the makers of clothes pegs clothes props skewers needle cases footstools and clothes horses chairs and tables tea caddies writing desks drawers work boxes dressing cases pails and tubs b the trunk hat and bonnet box makers and the cane and rush basket makers c the toy makers such as chinese roarers children's windmills flying birds and fishes feathered cocks black velvet caps and sweeps paper houses cardboard carriages little copper pans and kettles tiny tin fireplaces children's watches dutch dolls buyer brooms and gutter percher heads d the apparel makers namely the makers of women's caps boys and men's cloth caps night caps straw bonnets children's dresses watch pockets bonnet shapes silk bonnets and gaiters e the metal workers as the makers of fire guards bird cages the wire workers f the miscellaneous workers or makers of ornaments for stoves chimney ornaments artificial flowers in pots and in nosegays plaster of paris nightshades brooms brushes mats rugs hearthstones firewood rush matting and hassocks of the last division of street labourers there are four classes one the cleaners such as scavengers nightmen flushermen chimney sweeps dustmen crossing sweepers street orderlies labourers to sweeping machines and to watering carts two the lighters and waterers or the turncocks and the lamplighters three the street advertisers namely the bill stickers bill deliverers boardmen men to advertising vans and wall and pavement stencillers four the street servants as horseholders linkmen coach hirers street porters shoe blacks end of section one